0: Chapter Forty Three of The Convict. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Convict by G.P.R. James. Chapter Forty Three. The rooms occupied by Sir Arthur Adelon at Brandon House, consisted of a large dressing room and an old-fashioned chamber on the first floor, lined with dark oak, supporting a richly ornamented stucco ceiling where cupids and naiads and a great number of heterogeneous deities were flirting away all around the cornices with plaster of paris fruits and flowers in their hands a bed which rivalled the celebrated one of ware in its dimensions with old-fashioned chintz curtains stood at one end of the room looking small and modest from the extent of the space about it opposite the foot of the bed was a fireplace with hand-irons for burning wood and on each side of it were two doors one leading to the dressing-room and the other into a large commodious closet the windows of the room were three and the curtains which were now drawn close were all the same thick chintz as those which surrounded the bed there was thus very little light admitted although the stuff of which the curtains were composed was sufficiently diaphanous for the eye of one within to mark the change of light and shadow as the clouds passed through the air without the door of the dressing-room was open and one of the windows partly thrown up admitted the air of spring which to say the truth was at the time we speak of somewhat sultry and oppressive it was but little after the hour of noon when edgar adelon and his companion rode away from the stable-yard at brandon and at that time sir arthur was seated in a chair before the table with his head resting on his hand and his eyes half shut painful emotions seemed to be passing through his mind for the muscles of his face moved and every now and then he would draw a deep and heavy sigh who shall say what was in his thoughts did he ponder over a life spent in vanities which had proved worse than ashes of time misused in planting the seeds of very very bitter fruit did he take that review of the long past which every one who has a mind capable of thinking must sometimes ponder on in moments of silent sleepless solitude did he consider how great wealth and lofty station and high health and education and every gift and every advantage which can decorate the fate of man may be all rendered impotent of good to himself and others by the pampering of one evil passion by a devotion to one vanity or folly perhaps he did But if so, if his eyes were keen enough, and his sight unsealed sufficiently to judge of the past justly, he saw that his weaknesses and his faults had been seized upon by a superior intellect, to render him, through their means, subservient to the views and purposes of others, whose motives he even yet did not clearly distinguish. "'If he did that, he is a scoundrel indeed,' said Sir Arthur, in a low murmur. "'He is a scoundrel,' he added the next moment that is clear, for who but a scoundrel would, for any purpose, suborn evidence against an innocent man. But as that thought passed through his mind, a look of anguish came upon his countenance, and perhaps he felt that he had been art and part in the deeds he condemned. He might feel, too, that there were purposes, that there were passions, which, in the more vigorous days of life, would have led him, nay, had led him, to deeds little less base, and courses as tortuous as those he viewed with horror in another. But, at the same time, whichever way he turned his eyes in the wide range of the past, that other was still by his side, encouraging him in all that he now regretted, suggesting the act to his mind, preparing the means to his hand, and, with insidious eloquence, removing the restraints of conscience and of feeling, while they rose up as obstacles to his purpose. He saw that the fiend's own work had been done with him, that his faults and his vices had but been employed to generate more, and to leave his heart in possession of remorse. The sad and bitter contemplation went on for more than one hour. A servant quietly opened the door, and finding that he was up and not asleep, told him that the surgeon had arrived from Barhampton. But Sir Arthur waved his hand, and saying that he was busy, desired to be left quite alone. "'I have no need of surgeons,' he said, and, as soon as the servant had retired, fell back into his reverie again. It lasted about half an hour longer, and then, wearied with the conflict of thought, he moved towards his bed, saying, "'I will lie down and sleep, if I can. "'Then I shall be more able to encounter the task of the evening, for I must and will have it all explained. "'It is getting very dark. "'It cannot be dusk yet.' "'and looking at his watch, he found that it was barely two o'clock. "'He accordingly laid down in his dressing-gown "'and thought for half an hour longer before sleep reached him. "'And while the busy brain still worked, "'the ideas shifted and changed place and became confused. "'He thought of Eda and of Dudley "'and of the insinuations thrown out by the priest "'and the vanity which was still at the bottom of his heart "'again poured forth bitter waters.' impossible he said to himself she cannot she will not she must not marry a convict and yet she can do as she pleases i have no authority over her and this man too has me in his power and he knows it i can see that by his bold demeanour to-day but i will not think of all these things i will sleep all that must be settled hereafter and edgar too there is another thorn in my side but i do not mind that so much for clive is of as ancient blood as any in the land and what though he be poor that does not take from his descent i wish it had happened otherwise and i was foolish to suffer this to go on but at least it is some satisfaction she is a catholic it might have been worse it is very warm i will open another window but while he was thinking of rising to do so his eyelids fell once or twice heavily and he dropped into a quiet slumber. While he thus lay, with his hand partly fallen over the side of the bed, the light seemed to decrease in the room, and a large heavy drop or two of rain beat upon the windows, followed by a faint flash and a distant roar of thunder. It did not wake Sir Arthur Adelon, however, and a minute or two after the door of the large closet opened slowly and noiselessly, and a figure entered, with a still and silent step, it was that of the priest dressed in his usual dark apparel and carrying a roll of paper in his hand for a moment he paused and looked around the room then advanced to the table and laid down the paper saying it will do as well but the next instant his eye caught sight of the hand of sir arthur adelon which as i have said had dropped over the side of the bed and with a bitter smile filmer advanced and gazed upon the sleeping face of him who had been once so much his friend the clear fair skin of the old man's cheek was still somewhat pale with the emotions of the day and his brow still bore the trace of care his mouth too moved from time to time as if the busy thoughts which had been agitating him were yet at work within prompting words which the chained lip refused to utter as he gazed the priest's look became stern and almost fierce and it would seem that some thoughts or purposes suggested themselves to his mind which other feelings induced him to reject for he waved his arm and spread forth his hand as if he were throwing something from him and murmured in a low voice no the moment after there was a vivid flash of lightning which notwithstanding the shade of the curtains glared round the whole room and made the face of the sleeping man look like that of a corpse the rattle of thunder succeeded shaking the whole house and sir arthur adelon started and turned as if to rise up from his bed the priest instantly laid his hand upon his arm saying my son sir arthur gazed at him with a bewildered look and then a sharp and angry expression came into his face ah is that you he said "'They thought you were gone.' "'They mistook,' replied the priest. "'Lie still, and hear me, for I have much to say. "'Your incorrigible weakness shows me that it is vain to remain with you longer. "'I cannot make you what you ought to be, and now I leave you to yourself.' "'What I ought to be?' said Sir Arthur Adelon, raising himself upon his arm. "'Have you not made me all I ought not to be?' "'As the most precious medicines become the most hurtful poisons "'to some peculiar constitutions,' answered the priest, "'so the best counsels to some men produce the worst results. "'Such has it been in your case, "'for the inherent feebleness of your mind "'was not capable of bearing the strong food "'that mine would have given it.' "'This is too insolent,' exclaimed the baronet, "'raising himself still farther, "'and stretching his hand towards the bell.' but filmer grasped his arm tight with a menacing look saying forbear and remember man what must be the consequence of my staying here if i go it is in charity to you for should i stay depend upon it it will be to expose from the beginning to the end the acts of a life the records of which i have put down here lest your own memory should have been more treacherous than mine Remember, I say, that everything from first to last is within my grasp, and that I can, when I please, open the casket and pour out the jewels of proud Sir Arthur Adelon's good deeds for the admiring eyes of all the world. Remember that against the code of honour, the laws of the land, and the dictates of religion, you have equally offended, and that if I remain, I remain to explain all. The baronet evidently quailed before him, and sinking back upon his pillow again he gazed up in the face for a moment in silence and then said dark and evil man as you are speak not of religion or of laws but if you would do one act of charity before you go explain to me rather than to others the saddest and the gloomiest page of my life's history relieve my mind of the heavy doubts and fears that have been upon it for many a long year notwithstanding all the presumptions that you have brought forward i bitter as it may be tell me rather that the wife whom i so dearly loved was really guilty guilty of anything rather than leave me to think that my unkindness killed her wrongfully speak man speak do not stand there smiling at me like a fiend but tell me was she guilty or not as innocent as the purest work of god replied the priest and as he spoke a sharp shudder passed over the whole frame of sir arthur adelon and his face became distorted with various passions sorrow and rage and remorse villain 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 he cried then why did you so basely deceive me what then you have not seen martin oldkirk said filmer with a look of some surprise he is here in this house and will soon tell you all what martin oldkirk my old servant exclaimed the baronet ah i see-i see the whole damnable plot you-you corrupted him nay not so answered filmer in a still bitter contemptuous tone but your own weak jealousy twisted his words from their right meaning and made that serviceable to your suspicions which should only have confirmed your trust at your suggestion fiend "'exclaimed Sir Arthur fiercely. "'I remember it all, as well as if it were but yesterday. "'Oh, fool that I have been!' "'And striking his clenched fist upon his forehead, "'he fell back again from the bed "'from which he had once more partially risen. "'And fool that you ever will be,' "'answered Filmer, with a look of contempt. "'Had that woman remained with you another year, "'she would have made you a heretic, "'as she was herself in heart.' but his words fell upon an inattentive ear, for Sir Arthur Adelon had relapsed into the same state in which we have seen him during the morning. The priest gazed on him with a stern and thoughtful brow when he perceived that he had again fainted, but gradually a slight, a very slight smile curled his lips, and he said, speaking his thoughts aloud, "'What shall I do? He has fainted again. Pshaw! He will get better of this, "'as he has got better of many things.' poor unhappy man without firmness to carry forth good or evil had he been but firm half of yorkshire might have been catholic at this day and i perhaps a cardinal and he added the next moment with power to direct the efforts of the true church in a course which would ensure to her the return of this darkened land to her motherly bosom it was an afterthought undoubtedly for it is to be remarked that in all hierarchies where men are expected to merge personal passions and desires in the objects of a great body or institution the passions and desires still remain but by a cunning self-deceit the individuals persuade themselves that they are made subservient to or banished to open a space for the general ends and purposes which the whole have in view it was very seldom that a man can say with sincerity and truth i desire to be made a bishop or a cardinal only for the good of religion mr filmer perhaps felt that truth as much as any man but yet he still persuaded himself that he was right or at all events affected to believe it for the fraudulent juggle that goes on between man and his own heart is almost always more or less successful where strong passions are engaged and there were many strong passions which shared in the motive of every one of Mr. Filmer's actions. If one had examined closely, the promotion of his church's views would have been found to bear a very small and insignificant share in any of his proceedings, and yet, even to himself, he affected to believe it to be the great, the sole, the overpowering object of his endeavours. While he stood and gazed upon the face of Sir Arthur Adelon, as he lay like a corpse before him, The low-muttered thunder growled around his head, and the heavy drops of rain began to fall thick and fast, pattering in a deluge upon the windows and splashing upon the turfy lawns. "'There is more in the hills,' he said, and I must make haste, or the rivers will be swollen and stop me. "'I wonder which way the fools have taken who went in pursuit. The servants must have done dinner. But that matters not. They will not venture, I think, to oppose me, even if anyone sees me and that brutal idiot oldkirk must be gone i must even take my chance who minds the lightning and yet such is human nature the very next flash made him put his hand before his eyes and turn somewhat pale it is awfully vivid he said this artillery of heaven men think is sent to punish the guilty alone the immediate retribution of the almighty if so why does it choose its aim so lucklessly I have seen the loveliest and the purest struck by it, the murderer, the villain, and the false prophet pass through it unscathed. But I will go, lest a worse fate than that of the lightning should reach me. Farewell, old man, he continued, looking at the couch on which Sir Arthur Adelon was lying. After many years sojourn on this earth together, you and I may never meet again. If friendship unvarying and services not to be doubted, and counsels ever for the best, could have done aught with you. You should have had them, nay, you have had them. But you were too weak and idle to profit even by experience. Instead of full trust, you gave half-confidence. Instead of full obedience, you gave nothing but a questioning support. And the church must triumph wherever it sets its foot, or the day of its destruction is arrived. With this unvarying maxim of the Roman church, He turned away and left him, placing the papers he had brought farther on the table, with the claws of the inkstand to hold them safely down. He retired by the same means which had given him entrance, and without the slightest appearance of anxiety or haste, opened the first door and shut it behind him, then pulled back the private door which afforded a communication between his room and that of the baronet, and ascended a flight of steps which led to the chambers above. All remained still and quiet below, and in a few minutes, proceeding to the stable-yard, Mr. Filmer had mounted, without the slightest opposition, a horse which had been set apart for his own use while at Brandon, and was riding away, but in a direction different to that which Edgar and his friend had taken. End of chapter 43